Amen. Thank you, ladies. That was my absolute favorite hymn growing up. I remember as a young man in my upbringing, I've shared a little bit in here, was a little bit difficult at times, and that was hymn number 100 in our hymnal at our church. And whenever I was down and discouraged on a Sunday, I'd just open up the hymnal and just read those words, and I'd be encouraged. Uh, wonderful, wonderful message. Take your Bibles, if you would, this morning, turn to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. This is a message that I've actually thought of preaching now for a couple of years, and it just hasn't happened until now. It's going to dovetail a little bit with a message that I, uh, that I preached last, last fall. And uh, so we're going to kind of pick it up where we left off there. But this is the message that has been on my heart, and God just hasn't given me the time to preach it until just now. Genesis chapter 6, we're going to look again at the life of Noah, and uh, though I want to take the verse, 1 Peter 4, 8, and above all things have fervent charity among yourselves. Let me say that again. And above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Has love covered the multitude of your sins? Are you glad for that? The title of my message this morning is The Love That Covers. Pastor just mentioned uh, what's going on in, in uh, Washington, D.C. today is really historic. And it's really in, tragic in some ways. It is a process described and defined in the Constitution of the United States, but really not for this purpose, we would understand. And Pastor mentioned about uh, the bringing in and then the putting down of authority. You know, in essence, that's what my message is about today. The putting down of authority versus the love that covers. I want to give uh, just a, a little bit of, uh, of uh, just a look at the life of Noah overall. We see, and we looked at this last fall, but Genesis chapter 6 here begins to describe the day in which Noah lived. Verse 3, and the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man for that he also is flesh. Verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That is an amazing statement to me. That every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. Verse 6, It repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart, and God said, uh, the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. You look down at uh, verse 12, and God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh hath corrupted his way upon the earth. And then God begins to describe to Noah a way out by faith. And he describes something that Noah had never seen before, rain. There had not been rain on the earth. And now you need to build a great big ship to escape something you've never seen. Judgment for sin. It's amazing the challenge that was set before Noah. And he took the challenge because he believed God. Of course, I'm talking about your grandfather, am I? Right? Yeah, don't forget that. We're talking family here. Okay. Noah walked by faith. Noah believed God. 
Look at verse 3 again. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man for that. He also is flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. It would appear that God gives now a time frame. It's not as though they didn't know judgment was coming. We understand that Methuselah's name meant that. When he dies, it comes. It seems as though they knew, but they didn't know when. Yes, they, they didn't know when Methuselah was going to die. It didn't seem like he was going to. 969 years it's still going on. But here, at this point, God gives them the time. The end is coming. Can somebody tell me how old is Noah in verse 3? Does anybody know? I heard it. 480. How do we know that? Because he was 600 when he got in the ark, the next chapter tells us. Now he's 480 when he is warned and told when the judgment is coming. Now we mentioned last fall, and we looked at throughout chapter 5 and, and mentioned about how all of these relatives of, of Noah are being born, uncles and aunts, and everybody has sons and daughters according to this, and Yet uh, his own father had sons and daughters in verse 30. <clears throat> Therefore, unless they've passed away, all of them, Noah has uncles and aunts. How many of them got on the ark? He has uncles and aunts. He has brothers and sisters. They're not, they're not on the ark. Frankly, there's only eight that get on the ark. When estimates are that there was clearly, easily, conservatively, over a billion people. And maybe, still easily, the same population that was on the earth in that day that we have today. Seven billion. That has been suggested conservatively with the estimates of the day. Billions of people. Noah, a preacher of righteousness and his little family. It's a dark day. 480 when he got the warning. When did he have children? 500. Do you know that he had no children when he received the warning? But he stepped out by faith and said, honey, let's have kids. I think we can get him on the ark. Do you know how dangerous that was? Might have been just as well to wait until after the flood. That was faith. Now, just some other things about Noah before we get into our text in chapter 9. Noah lived 950 years. By what we read in chapter 5, he would be the third oldest of the recorded patriarchs here. The third oldest of any of the men who ever lived. Methuselah's grandfather being the oldest, 969, only 19 years more. 950 years. Can you fathom that for a minute? Can you imagine living 950 years? 950 years. I was doing a little bit of research in my own family tree just over Christmas break, something to occupy my time and give myself a break. It's kind of fun for me. Come to History of Seal if you'll learn a little more about it. But anyway, uh, I traced my family lineage so far back to a man in England on one of these branches uh, to where if I was going to call him grandfather, I'd have to put 13 greats in front of his name. 
He was born in 1498. Okay, so that's, uh, that's 500 years. That's about half of Noah's life. Half. I don't think we get it. And yet you're really not going to understand what about, I'm about to tell you unless we begin to understand a little bit more than the day that we live in, the, the day that they lived in. 950 years. The life of Noah will, will encompass four chapters of the Bible, essentially. Chapter 6, he's born at the end of chapter 5. Chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, he dies in the last verse of chapter 9. And that recorded, he lived so long that his father, just as a starting point, his father Lamech was 56 years old when Adam died. So Noah never could have gone and shake, shook hands with, with Adam, but, he could, but his dad could have. His dad could have asked Adam, and probably did, what was it like in the Garden of Eden? What was it like to walk with God? What was it like to be perfect? Tell me again of the sin. Noah would be the first generation here described in Genesis the first one not to be able to go and talk to Adam. Requiring additional faith to believe what had been handed down. From that starting point and through these four chapters, 950 years, there are 99 verses. 99 verses cover the life of Noah's 950 years. That's just about 10 years per verse. Now it's an average. But you've got to figure, as you're walking your way through chapters 6 through 9, each time you read a verse, you just clicked off 10 years. Now, I realize some's a little faster than others, but that's the average, 10 years per verse. When we get to our text today, and here's why I'm telling you that, we're going to read eight verses of Noah's life that are about one day. It should have been eight years, 80 years rather. But it's all about one day. What's that tell you? Something happened in those 950 years and hundreds of thousands of days that God said, you need to know. Stop everything, God said. Stop it. I want to tell you about some things that happened in a few hours in Noah's life. There's no other event in Noah's life that slowed down and put under the microscope like that. Let me give you one other thought here about Noah. Brother Vaughn, when he was here, mentioned about, he was speaking, and I was a little surprised by it, but he said he talked about how many words we might speak per day. Do you remember that? He was standing right here, and it was kind of funny there for a minute. Well, the University of Arizona, actually, I thought maybe of uh, putting a mic on a couple of you students just to discover how many words are spoken in a day. <clears throat> I realized there might be a little bit of a, a variance there. Some of you at... Uh, might not be very many. And others? Might be a few more. The University of Arizona did a study a few years ago. And uh, in their study, they, they found that the average was about 16,000 words a day. 16,000 words a day. Again, some might not reach that. Some might, might do well. 16,000. In Noah's days, 950 years of them, that's a lot of words. 
It's over five and a half billion words that Noah potentially could have spoken in his lifetime. Five and a half billion. You say, well, I don't even have a concept of what that is. So let me help you with that. If we just took, in our King James Bible, how many words are in this book? Total words. How many of these books could Noah have filled with his own words in 950 years? Over 7,000 of them. That means if you stacked them, they'd go 600 feet in the air. About a 60-story building. Or if you lined them up like this and stretched them out, that's two football fields of Bibles. Now understand what I'm saying. Only filled with the words of Noah. Okay, why am I telling you that? Do you know how many words of Noah we actually have recorded? I mean, when, when actually the microphone was given to him, Noah, would you like to say something? Words that Noah spoke, you know how many? 45. God picked 45 words out of all of those, out of 950 years, and recorded them, faithfully recorded them for you. Only three verses. You suppose they're worthy of looking at? All right, let's take a look at it. Let's go to uh, chapter 9. And let me just, before we read it, let me describe the day that Noah is in. Chapter 8, Noah and his family got off of the ark. And can you imagine with me for a minute what that would have looked like? It was altogether different. Wasn't it altogether different? He didn't look the same anymore. It looked like he was on a different planet, to be honest. The topography had changed dramatically. It was completely different. And all the animals there, aside from uh, the fish, were getting off the ark with him. But it was different in other ways. What he left behind is unbelievable. What was the world like when he got on the boat? It was violent. It was sinful. You look at, I mean, go wherever you want today. Go to New Orleans or Las Vegas or San Francisco. I doubt it compares. Every imagination of the thought of man's heart was only evil continually. Oh, the, the filth and the disgust of what was rampant in the world. It was bloody. And when he got off, it was clean, right? Wow, <laughs> where's, where's, where's the problem? Where's the billboards? Where's the pornography? Where's the rock music? It's gone, right? There's just eight born-again believers, eight of them. That's it. Christians, that's all there is. Why, this is perfect, isn't it? No swear words, right? We would hope, right? There's none. That's all they heard. Oh, the filth, walk up and down the streets like this, you're fearing for your life, and now it's just them. Wow. They're Christians, all of them. 
It's perfect. Like your dorm room. <laughs> Why are you laughing? You're all Christians, right? And so these eight, like, <laughs> they, can, they can plant a church, can't they, Brother Ermler? Like, what's the outreach? <laughs> let's, let's go knock on some doors. It's just them. Wow. Then they begin to have children. Right? Why, we got to make sure these children, right? All right, that's the world that we're in. Now let's look. Genesis chapter 9, verse 20. And Noah began to be an husbandman, and he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. Is that a good picture? Something is desperately wrong. Commentators have batted that one around. Okay, wow, what does all this mean? Some try to say, well, probably didn't understand what would happen if grape juice was left out. Maybe the world's atmospheric conditions have changed dramatically enough that things are different, whatever. The fact is, he's drunk. It's not good. We can't make it better. It's just not good. Verse 22, and Ham. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the wickedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. It's so concise but we don't need to let our minds wander. There's plenty enough here to explain what's going on here. The contrast between the behavior of Ham and his two older brothers is remarkable. It's stunning. Let me give you a four-point outline here. Number one, the love that covers the love that covers does not find satisfaction in somebody else's sin. The love that covers does not find satisfaction in somebody else's sin. The text is, is, uh, is genuinely about that father-son relationship. We ought to take a look at that one first. You know, in your lifetime, you are, you just are, you're going to see the indiscretions of your dad, your mom. You just will. <laughs> I'm sorry to say it, you just will, right? You don't have to agree. Just sit there. Take notes. They can't be hidden. You know, when you're little, like we say, your dad can't do anything wrong. You get a little older, you realize, whoa. You know what Ham is realizing? Wow. But it's more than that. H.C. <clears throat> Leupold in his um, commentary on Genesis said this. But as far as Ham himself is concerned, the expression wiyar, which is Hebrew, is not a mere harmless and accidental, and he saw, but he looked at, or he gazed with satisfaction. 
What ordinary filial or family reverence should have restrained his is given free reign. The unclean imagination feeds itself by gazing, but at the same time a measure of departure from the faith is also revealed by hand. That the son should have treated with such levity a father eminent for truly true, true piety. The one man whom God spared in the destruction of the world indicates that his son no longer esteemed with true godliness as he ought to have done. The same is to be said of the words here that uh, he went out in verse 22 and told his brethren without. The Hebrew there also gives the same essence that as he told, he delighted to tell. Ham. Let's catch this for a second. Ham comes in to see his father and, and there's some satisfaction. There's some delight in what he sees of his father. Oh, so there. There you are. I knew that. Oh, the big man built the big ship. Look at you now. So I couldn't go there with these friends, and I couldn't do that. All of this time, we got to be just so, and look at you now. That's fine. Have we ever done that? Despised, and it doesn't have to be parental authority. It could be anything. It could be a room leader. It could be a faculty member. And you see something in them that should be different. Wrong choice. And how do we respond to that? But above all things, have fervent love one for another. For love, cover it, a multitude of sins. Here Ham views his father, and it's bad. I'm telling you, let's just say it, it's flat bad. Noah is off. And somehow Ham is enjoying it. It's vindicating his own bad spirit. Is Ham born again? Was he on the ark? Is he thinking right now? Is he thinking? Is he thinking? I'm telling you right now, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that man. Is he thinking that? Should he be? If it wasn't for that man's faith, now I realize I can't see his faith right now. I, 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 I get that. I can't see his faith. But I'm telling you, I wouldn't be standing right here if it wasn't for that man. Is that true? It's not what he's thinking. He's thinking, okay, all the rules. I get it. I couldn't do this. Got in trouble for doing that. Oh, yeah, sure. Look at you. Hypocrite. And he goes out to spread it. Brothers, you've got to see this. Number two, the love that covers doesn't slander. He finds his brothers, and he says, what? You're not going to believe this. You've got to see this. I'm telling you, go look. You don't believe me? Go look. He's obviously now not a part of the solution. He's not covering. He's exposing. Love covers a multitude of sins. 
Now notice the, the difference here contrasted. Did the brothers here, the two older brothers, Japheth and Shem, did they, did they deny it? Did they say, oh, no, we don't believe that. You, you're off. We don't believe you. Let me ask you, did they believe Ham, yes or no? You know, this idea of love covers isn't a matter of denying the sin. Oh, that's not happening. It's not putting your head in the sand. That's not the answer. That's not helpful. What then would you cover if you say there's nothing there? They didn't say there's nothing there. They didn't say dad wouldn't do that. Right? They agreed. In, in a, they didn't agree with his spirit and attitude. They didn't agree with his choices about it, his response to it. They didn't react the same way. No, frankly, they reacted a completely different way. Love covers a multitude of sins. More of that idea, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that man. I owe a lot to that man. And so they go. Thirdly, the love that covers doesn't deny or overlook. The love that covers doesn't deny or overlook. Number four, the love that covers doesn't delay, is not passive. You notice that in this succinct story, Japheth, who is the oldest, and then Shem, immediately took to covering and did it in, the, in just a, such a remarkably reverent way. Is, is that not remarkably reverent? Aren't you just, wow! Do you know that these guys are over 100 years old? All of them? They now have children of their own? It is remarkable. They went in backwards. They got a sufficient covering. Their love found it. They went in backwards, not looking. They covered him up and they left. There. Do we do that with a room leader or Sunday school teacher or a pastor back home? Do we do that? Or do we pick and, did you hear what he said? Did you see that right there? You look at that. Are you ham? Or these other two? Is love covering or is bitterness exposing? Verse 24, and Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And we don't know how he knew. We don't know. We just don't know. But he knew. Okay. Now there's these three verses, 25, 26, 27, 45 words. Wow. The only words God gives us that Noah ever spoke and greatly misunderstood. And he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the, the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. Wow. What? <laughs> Some have understood that to mean that, oh, look at the races. Some are going to be inferior to the others. And, 
be subjugated, and it's all the reason more to do this and that to them. Is that what it says? That's not what it says. That is not what this is about. It's grossly misunderstood. Just, uh, I don't know, feed our own flesh. When you understand really what's being said here, it, it'll, it'll stun you. All right, first of all, is Noah now who's maybe, let's say, 650 years old. He's got grandkids running around, and we don't know how old they are, but they could be adults by now. We just know that it's not, we know that it's not 700 years because that's the Tower of Babel. So somewhere in there, we're, we're, that's where we are. Did Noah awake from his wine, a grandfather delighting in his grandkids to curse one of them? And why that one? What in the world? We, he's not even present. Why pick on him? It seems to be Ham's issue. Why does he look at Ham and pronounce a curse, so it would seem, on Ham's youngest son? Well, it's not Noah cursing his grandchildren. He didn't build a ship for 120 years so that he can go around and badmouth them and wish evil against them. That's not what is happening. The perpetrator here is Ham. This is about Ham. Ham's spirit and attitude to his father, to authority. Do you realize that the spirit and attitude that Ham have are like inconsistent in the world that we're in? Didn't we talk about that? Like, where did that come from? I smell something. Whoo! It was so clean, right? Can you smell it? Ooh, yuck, yucky. Oh. Then you say, well, I can imagine the people down the street. Oh, there's nobody down the street. Uh, he's running with the wrong. No, there's nobody out there. Where did this come from? This is the spirit and attitude that we're on the other side of the flood. You know, unlike Adam and Eve, who were perfect and innocent in the garden, these eight are not. And Ham has stowed something away in his heart and brought it through the flood with him. He could have left it there. That would have been nice. It seems that Japheth and Shem did. But here, Ham had something in his suitcase. He brought it with him. A raunchy spirit and attitude. Something that should have been dealt with. And it hasn't been. And it looks really out of place in this, in this world. Much like something might look out of place in your dorm room. Or at home. With your siblings. Or your parents. And you know what? It should be out of place. But let's get rid of it. Because it doesn't belong here. You know what Noah is saying? Ham, don't you know what you're doing to your kids? Don't you know what that spirit and attitude is going to do? Don't you remember what it was before the flood? Don't you remember what it looked like and how the kids were influenced by this? We couldn't convince any of them to get on the ark. Ham, don't you know what you're doing to your kids with your spirit and attitude? Do you know the spotlight is not on Noah and his, his poor choice and his indiscretion? It's on Ham and his bitterness towards his dad. It's there. But, but why Canaan? <clears throat> Some commentaries will say, 
obviously by this time, Canaan has begun to already show the, the influences of his father's own attitude. Well, that's probably true. That's probably true. I think there's a greater reason. Why did Noah finger Canaan? He's not even here. He's out there somewhere. Why? Do you know that Noah was not the first one to put his finger on Canaan? He wasn't. Look. Look with me here. Go back to uh, verse 17. <clears throat> As God establishes even the rainbow, and God said unto Noah, this is the token of the, of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. That's you eight. Verse 18, and the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were, now get this, were Shem and Ham and Japheth. And Ham is the father of Canaan. Who's doing the fingering? Who? God is. The Holy Spirit is saying, oh, by the way, do you know that Ham is the father of Canaan? Well, he didn't say that about Shem or Japheth. He didn't name any of their kids. Why is he stating, even before this discussion about what happened that day, the Holy Spirit is already putting his finger on Canaan? Look at it. You may have noticed it. In uh, verse 21, it says, And he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, notice the Holy Spirit, the father of Canaan, walks in. That wasn't Noah. He didn't say that. The Holy Spirit did. Why? Why Canaan? Tell me this. Who wrote this? Who humanly wrote these words? Moses is a descendant of which three of these boys? Shem. If you didn't know that, you need to know it now. Okay, let's get that down. Shem. Moses, all of Israel, a descendant of Shem. Okay, so... Where are they going? They're going where? Canaan? You, you mean to tell me it's a place? I thought we were talking about a boy. What do, you, what do you mean a place? Who lives in the land of Canaan? Canaanites. Who are they descended from? This isn't hard, is it? Oh, oh wait a minute. They're Canaanites. Yeah, they're Canaanites. Tell me something. What's supposed to happen when the children of Shem get to the land of Canaan? What are they supposed to do? They're supposed to kill them all. Don't you get it? Noah did. Ham, don't you know what your spirit and attitude are doing to your kids? Don't you know where this is going to end up? Moses, by the... By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is faithfully recording to us exactly where that spirit and attitude took their generations. Yeah, it started with Ham. Where will ours take us? What are we doing to our kids? When we look at our authorities, and we don't respect and revere and obey the word of God. We don't let, let, let love cover. We make light by Deuteronomy 27, 16. 
in the land of Israel, these descendants of Shem, would shout out, Cursed be he that setteth light by his father and his mother. <clears throat> Turn with me to Joshua. And I'm going to have to close up here. But I do want to illustrate this and, and, and bring, bring about a better conclusion. Joshua chapter 2. <clears throat> and I'll close with this. All right, so Moses, Moses writes this. And he obviously gets it. Wow, we're on our way to the land of Canaan. How did these people become so blatantly wicked that God, a loving God, has pronounced judgment on all of them like happened at the flood? They're just supposed to be judged completely with the sword. And as he's faithfully writing this, he realizes, wow, that's Ham. And Noah said it. It's, it's Canaan. And these are the Canaanites. And it's, it's obviously filling his mind. He's understanding how important it is here to, 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 to believe God and to reverence one's parents. Who was the first Canaanite that they came into contact with? Rahab. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm sure they bumped into others, whatever. But the first one recorded right here in Joshua 2. In the, in, in the first city, Jericho, that's, it's going to fall, and a lot of people are going to die. It's going to happen. Judgment is coming. And here's a descendant of Canaan. And she's born again. She's saved by faith already, right? And I don't have time to get into all this, but it is remarkable that if we look at Hit this in uh, chapter 2, and as she gives her own testimony of how she heard what God had done to, the, to Pharaoh and the other kings and, and uh, part of the Red Sea and how that impacted her own life. And in verse 11 it says, And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. And she gives more testimony than the people in Jericho who are just making, <laughs> making preparations for war out of great fear. She actually transferred her dependence from her own gods to that God. Notice the next verse. Now, therefore, I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that ye will also show kindness unto my father's house. Give me a true token, and that ye will save alive my father. Is that somehow different than him? And here's a Canaanite who's defying everything that's going on around her. What? Her daddy never wounded, wounded her? She never saw her daddy do anything wrong? And now look what her love does. Is it covering? Do you know because of her and her love for her mom and her dad, she's going to bring them out. She's going to deliver them. Do you know that God has called you to do the same? Tell me, what generation has not wounded the next? Yeah, do you think Ham standing there, condescending to his father, is not going to wound his own children? Is that not the point of it? We don't think of that. You are wounding your children as you disobey God and irreverent. You have irreverence to your parents or any other authority. Love covers a multitude 
of sin. Don't ever forget Japheth and Shem. Their response was biblical. It was out of the heart of God. They didn't even have the Bible yet. And yet they're reverencing their, their dad. There's much more that I could say on this. There is nobody that has not been wounded. Jesus himself came and subjected himself to parents who were imperfect and no doubt wounded. Did his love cover their sins? Ours needs to cover. Let's bow our heads.